Thank you, uh, praise team, for singing that, those songs this morning, and especially that one song, uh, The Love of God. My grandfather um, was a uh, pastor, song evangelist, and uh, I've heard my grandfather sing, O Love of God, How Rich and Pure. I've, I've heard him sing that many times. <laughs> that really brought back some memories for me when we sang that song. And I think my grandfather was like the number one idol in my life, and there was nothing, I could not never find any fault with my grandfather, but some people in the church did. And the knock against my grandfather, the fighting point against my grandfather, was that he preached about love too much. And I trust, hope, and pray that I am carrying on his legacy. Well, we are going back to the book of love today. This is the last sermon that uh, we'll, we'll have in 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll finish up our look at the school of love this morning. I don't know as a kid if you ever dared to pull a trick on your parents. <laughs> I tried that one time, and that was it, once. That was enough. Bam! Not doing that anymore. But I, I read a, a, a story about a, a guy that uh, you'll recognize his name. His name was Wolfgang Mozart, you know, the music guy. And it seems like when he was young, he was, he was quite a character, you know. And uh, the story is that when he was young, he used to come stay out late at night like a lot of young people. And uh, he wouldn't come in until the early hours of the morning. And one night when he came in, he had this idea. His dad, who himself was an accomplished musician, was already <clears throat> in bed asleep. And so what the idea was for Wolfgang was to go to the piano and play the scales. Now, I'm not a musician, so I'm already a little bit over my head, <laughs> but he would play the scales, but he wouldn't play the last note. Now, if you're a musician, you might resonate with this a little bit more than people like me, someone like me, but, you know, and, and so he, he would play it like four times and then stop, don't hit the last note. And he knew what would happen. He knew his dad would wake up and his dad would be laying there and hear that playing of the scale without that last note. <clears throat> and so after Wolfgang did that several times, he, he got away from the piano and hid, and he waited. And sure enough, his dad would come staggering out, half awake, half asleep. He'd walk over to the piano and go, boom, and hit that final note. <laughs> Just had to have that last note, or it wouldn't be complete. That's a similar way to look at these verses that we're going to look at this morning in this whole idea of the, of the school of love. This is a, a section that talks about life's final note and how important love is and how love will last on into eternity. In our first look here in 1 Corinthians 13, we saw that without love you are nothing. And if you were here, I hope you I hope you remember that. I hope that you've been embracing that great truth. We can do all sorts of things, but without love, 
uh, we're, we're absolutely nothing. The last week, we talked about how, how we really can love the unlovable, and we discovered that, that it's possible to do that when you define love as a choice. And we, so we say that with God's help, uh, we're going to grit our teeth, and we're going to make the decision, we're going to exercise our will <clears throat> to love uh, each other. And so here we are now in this third session today, this final note of uh, instruction to the church at Corinth. Um, and I'll just tell you that the first three words in this section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, 13 is, love never fails. And I don't know about you, but when I hear those three words, I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, that's my initial reaction. Um, and maybe you're like, what do you mean love never fails? Um, I had a spouse that loved me and we got a divorce. I had kids that loved me and now they won't talk to me. I had friends that said they loved me, but uh, when I was down and out, they turned on me and stabbed me in the back. How can we, re how can we really say that love never fails. And again, the answer really is that we're talking about the kind of love where we exercise our will. And we say, I'm going to love you with God's help no matter what we do or no matter what you do. Let me read <clears throat> uh, verses 8 to 13 this morning just to give you an overview, and then we'll go back in and talk about each of these verses uh, briefly today. So reading from 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So again, this idea that love by choice, we have a choice to make, and what God wants us to do is to make the choice that says, I'm just going to love people no, no matter what. It's not an easy thing to do, but God will help us if we really want to do that. Um, I really think it's an, an astonishing statement that Paul makes uh, there in that uh, first verse, uh, first part of verse 8. Love never fails. Now, we might be tempted, like we often are, to just read Scripture real fast and just kind of just buzz right by that and <clears throat> say, love never fails. But let's take a moment and slow down, and let's focus on the word Never. And 
I don't know about you, but I was just taught you never say never because there's always an exception. But I've come to understand that when Paul says never in the context of love, he means he means never. He means that love will always come through. He means that love never dies. That love never collapses. Love isn't determined by how you're treated, whether you're treated well or not well. He is saying that love is the only thing that lasts and it's the only thing that really matters. It's the only thing. I have, I've been a, a pastor for a lot of years, as you know, and I've done a lot of funerals. And it's just kind of a weird moment for a pastor to ride in the hearse with the funeral director to the cemetery, you know? It's like, what do you talk about? <laughs> you know, there you are, and you got somebody in the back, you know, in the casket, and you're going, and so, you know, and so, oh. One time, I, I said to the funeral director, I said, you've been doing this a long time. Yep. I said, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen put into a casket at, the, at a funeral? Have you ever seen weird things put in caskets? It's a little bit of a weird question to ask, but I mean, I don't know about here, but back home, you know, they, sometimes they'll, there'll be weird things that will appear in a casket. I, I once saw a fishing rod put in a casket, you know. And that's what this funeral director said. Here. You got a fishing pole. But years ago, before I got into ministry, there was a guy, there was a guy at our church that I attended that was a real big college basketball fan. I, is college basketball big up here? Some? Yeah? So like NCAA and turning all that. Now this is going way back, but he was a uh, Indiana Hoosier fan. Anybody here an IU fan? What? Yes. And so <clears throat> you're way younger than me, but do you recognize the name Bobby Knight? Yeah. So Bobby Knight. <clears throat> so he was an IU Bobby Knight fan. I mean, I mean, bad to the bone fan. And so when he died, he had plans, and they rolled out the plans when he died. And so we had the visitation, you know, and it was, <clears throat> he, wanted, <clears throat> he wanted an open casket. So he has, he has on his, his um, IU fan t-shirt. He is sitting up in the casket. <clears throat> he is holding a picture of Bobby Knight. You can't make this stuff up. <clears throat> and, and right down here was a basketball. And I'm like, is this, this idea that, that somehow this devotion, it's weird, isn't it? I see you, you're just like, I can't believe this. It's true. But you know, somehow we have this idea that, that you know, our, our devotion to certain things or, or the things, uh, the, or the the titles that we've accumulated or the, 
or the power that we've amassed or the, even the friendships that we've made, that somehow that's going to go from this world to the next, you know? Or are the things that we accumulate. I, I heard of somebody that was buried in their Cadillac one time. Well, the only time that ever happened to them. They got in the, dug a big hole, they got in the, got in the, in the uh, Cadillac and lowered it in the ground. This idea that somehow you can take it with you and we just need to be reminded that <clears throat> that's simply not the case. Not going to happen. Now, when I read verses 8 to 13, I was reminded that these verses have kind of an end times ring to them. As though Paul is talking about love in the context of, of, yes, this life, he's already done that, but now he's starting to look ahead to the end of the age and what life is going to be like then at the, at, at the end. And when we get into the very presence of God, this, this idea of going out into eternity, and Paul is, is suggesting very strongly here that when we <clears throat> cross from this life to the next, the only thing that will matter is love. Not anything else is going to matter. And I think that's so hard for a 21st materialistic, self-centered person like me to grasp. Because I want to think my accomplishments in life are going to somehow translate into the world to come or, you know, the stuff that I've done is going to mean something and it it's just, it's just not. It's everything that you own. Everything that you've done. None of that will mean a thing. Not a single thing. I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I recognize it's hard, it's, it's hard to grasp. Uh, someday you will receive your last check from your employer be the last time you ever get paid. I don't know when that'll be, but someday that'll happen. Someday your brand new car will go to the junkyard <laughs> and be smashed up and recycled or whatever they do. Someday the, the roof of your house is going to cave in. may not happen for 300 years, but someday that house, that place you call home, it's going to get bulldozed. It's going to fall down. Some, someday that's going to happen. Someday the mail delivery will cease. No more mail delivery. Someday the Iditarod will run its last race. Someday your heart will stop. And so will mine. And Paul wants us to understand that in the end, nothing else matters but whether or not you have loved God and loved other people. It's the only thing that matters. Now, I'm thinking that Paul, Paul had in his head that this was such a hard truth for people in the church at Corinth to embrace. 
that he had to give three illustrations to help people understand his point. And I think that's why we, when we look at these verses we've just read a moment ago, that uh, Paul gives these examples so that people can begin to understand really, truly how important it is that we make the decision to love others. So we're going to take just a moment and look at these three examples in the text. And the first is the example of spiritual gifts. And I'm looking there at the, now uh, the middle part of, or the second part of verse 8 down through 10. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. So the first example that Paul uses to illustrate his main point that only love is going to last, it's only love that's foundational to take us on into eternity, is this idea of spiritual gifts. Remember that the church at Corinth, these people were, they were fighting about about spiritual gifts, you know? Who had the best gift? Who had the worst, worst gift? My gift's better than yours. You don't have my gift, so you're not where I am spiritually. And so they were just kind of fussing about, about that kind of thing, and they were squabbling about it. But Paul wants them to know that someday spiritual gifts won't matter. It won't matter. And the reason they won't matter is Someday we will be in the presence of God himself in this perfect place that we just we call heaven. Now, we don't have that all figured out, but we know that we'll be with God in this perfect place. Uh, why would you need to talk in tongues in this, in this language? That it, you're, you're there. Why would you need the, you know, uh, these spiritual gifts? And the answer is you don't. None of that matters when you get to heaven. Now, verse 11, the second example. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things behind me. So it's the example now of <clears throat> becoming an adult. I don't know, anybody here remember your first love? I mean, like, way, way back? Now, you don't need to admit it if you're, like, sitting next to your, you know, it's like, well, oh, I never told them about that, but, you know, this, this kind, of, kind of puppy love thing. <clears throat> I fell in love for the first time in fifth grade. Fifth grade, and her name was Deborah Judson. And uh, I, I think, it, I, I know I was, I was married, we had a couple of kids, and we were at a, at a family Thanksgiving, and <clears throat> my side of the family, which meant it was a little bit more raucous than Jackie's side. And so we were just talking, and we got talking about our first loves and all that, and <clears throat> I was just dumb enough to say, oh, well, my first, my first, uh, Poppy love, my first true love was Deborah Judson. And my family members look at me and they're starting to laugh. And, and uh, I said, as a matter of fact, 
Now, this was like, I don't know, 25 years later, something like that. I said, as a matter of fact, I remember her phone number. <laughs> and Jackie's sitting right here. My wife, sitting right here. And they said, you do? And I go, 8755267. And that really is her phone number. Now, I don't remember who said this next. I don't remember whose bright idea this was. But somebody said, must have been my mean, ugly brother that I talk about. He said, why don't you call her on the phone? That's my side of the family, you know. Call her on the phone. And the, there's my wife. You're not going to call her on the phone, are you? Oh, let's call her on the phone. I dialed 8755267. Oh, 8. <clears throat> Which means I had time to reconsider before that last spin of the dial. And so I let it ring, and I'm secretly hoping that nobody answers, you know, because this is somewhat embarrassing, especially with my dear wife sitting there. Sadly, somebody answered the phone. And how do you explain a call like that, you know? I said, uh, well, uh, you don't know me, but my name's Randy, and I went to, I went to school, and I, I described the school and stuff. And I said, uh, do you know a Deborah Judson? And the lady said, well, I do. That's my daughter. I'm thinking, what do I do now? <laughs> so we chatted a little bit, and I just kind of backed down that conversation the best way I could, and that was just kind of the end of that. And Jackie always reminds me of that day when I called my old girlfriend. And we were in fifth grade. And puppy love really doesn't mean a whole lot because we know that puppy love is love that doesn't last. I mean, it's just driven by some sort of almost childish kind of, uh, of emotion. But when we become an adult and enter into a love relationship, we choose to love somebody, that's a whole different story. That kind of love, if we keep the choice that we've made, that kind of love is foundational. <clears throat> and that's the kind of love that allows you to be, to be married for almost 44 years because you made that decision. I'm just going to love that person. That's the idea that Paul is getting at here in verse 11. This idea that, you know, as a child, we did childish things and we acted impulsively and we just... We were driven by our emotions. But when you become a man or when you become an adult, or when you become a full-grown woman, we begin to think things through and we make decisions. And Paul is saying, uh, by inference, that when you decide to love somebody and don't go back on that decision, that love will last. As a matter of fact, it will last on into eternity. So he gives that example of growing up and becoming an adult. Now verse 12. <clears throat> now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 
I don't know about you, but when you're reading along in the text, and he's talking about love and spiritual gifts and growing up, and then he talks about a hand mirror, that's a little bit odd. I remember thinking, why in the world does he talk about a mirror? And the answer is that uh, Bible scholars tell us that uh, the town of Corinth, uh, one of their major industries was mirror making. So could have very well been that there were people in the church at Corinth that worked at the mirror factory. Or at the very least, they were very uh, knowledgeable about mirrors, and they, they knew about them because, again, it was uh, a big deal there in the town of Corinth. Now, those, those mirrors that they made in Corinth were some of the finest in the world, but, of course, 2,000 years ago, they weren't perfect. You know, there, there were imperfections in those mirrors, and you couldn't see every detail clearly And Paul is picking up on that a little bit. He's saying that when you look into a mirror, even the best mirror of that day, that still the image was a little bit distorted. And he uses that to make the point, but the day will come when we will see everything clearly. And again, by inference, the day will come when we will see God face to face. And the day will come when we stand in the presence of God because we have chosen to love God. And we've chosen to love others. And we will see the fruit of our love and the fruit of God's love for us. It's the only way that we get from this world to the next. You see, it's all about love. Now, Here's the sum of the whole matter. I'm looking now at the very last verse, verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest of these three things? It's because Only love will matter in eternity. Now think think about it. It really is true. Because in eternity, faith will be gone. You say, well, why is faith gone in eternity? (laughs) Because we have the reality. You don't need to have faith that God is going to come through. You don't need to have faith in the resurrection of the dead, and someday you'll be raised to new life. It's all happened. So in eternity, Paul was saying, faith will disappear because you don't need it. It's been realized. And the, the same thing can be said of hope, faith, hope, and love. Don't need faith because no need to have faith. Everything is there. And this idea of hope, you know, we talk about hope, and without hope, we're not going to make it, and the importance of hope, we can't give up, and we've got to keep trying, and all of that is true, but guess what? In eternity, when we're with God, we don't need hope, because we made it. We don't need hope, because God's got a handle on everything right there. God is working everything out. 
See, this is why, this is why Paul can say there in that, in that verse that these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is, is love, and that's why he makes that statement. The greatest of these is love. And so I've just come to understand that love is a river that flows from this life to the next. That somehow love is a river that flows out into eternity. And I've just made the decision, I'm going to get wet now. I'm going to play in the river. I'm going to make the decision to just love no matter what happens. And then someday, when I get to that other place, love's final note will sound. And I won't need faith. I won't need hope. But I'm going to need love because love is the language of the world to come. And so there you have it from the Apostle Paul, teacher Paul. Love is foundational. Love is transformational. Love gets us from this world to the next. But as, as I've been saying all the way along, I know it's not easy. I know we have to grit our teeth. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I'll... Um, Two days ago, a situation developed back home. And it's just, it's just one of these things. And if there's ever been a time when I've had to struggle with loving somebody else this week, this week, <laughs> mm, this week, but I'm still making the decision to love that person, not because I'm some sort of super saint, <laughs> nope, I'm making the decision to love that person because that's what God wants me to do, even though that person has hurt me and my family profoundly. going to love that person if it kills me. Huh. Because it's foundational. And without love, nothing really matters. So it's hard. It's, it's, it's costly. And when we think about love being costly, we have to look no further than the cross and the table. And today we have the opportunity to receive communion. And when we talk about receiving communion, if, if, if the moment of communion reminds us of nothing else, it ought to remind us that Christ loved us to the point of his own sacrificial death. That these little pieces of bread or these crackers, they remind us that his body was broken for us. And these little cups of juice that symbolize the blood of Jesus Christ remind us that because he loved you and me while we were yet 
unlovable, his blood was poured out for us. He was the sacrifice for you and for me. And so it's costly to love in this way that we're talking about. And so in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing. And as we do, if you would like to say that this is the kind of love that you want, then put feet to your decision and go to the table. And when you go to the table, take a cracker, take a cup of juice, and go back to your seat or wherever you want or stand wherever you want. And we'll be singing during that time. And then you just take those elements when you feel like it's appropriate for you to take that. But when, you, but when you take the cracker and when you take the juice, you're saying, this is what I want. I am embracing the way of love. And you might as well do that because nothing else matters. Let's stand together. And I'm going to pray. And the praise team will come. We have four stations set up. There, there's a, a table here, table here one in the back corner and one in that back corner. And uh, while we're singing, whenever you want to come and take the elements, take it. No one is required to do, to do that. If you don't want to, feel free to pass. Um, you don't have to be a member of any church to do this. You're saying, I, I want to go the way of the cross. I want to go the way of love, and I want to embrace this. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this time that we have together this morning and to be reminded that nothing matters aside from love. And I just pray now that as we worship you and sing praises to you, that we put some action to our decision to walk and live in the way of love. I ask that as we receive communion today, that each person finds new meaning and strength in their decision to partake today. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.